You are listening to the Ortho Idea Podcast, where we bring you the newest trends in orthopedic technology. Tune in for engaging interviews with medical device executives, surgeons, and surprise special guests discussing new disruptive technology in the marketplace. Here is your host, Eric Anderson. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in to the Ortho Idea Podcast. My name is Eric Anderson. I'm your host. And today, I'm lucky enough to have the Senior Director of Sales and Marketing at Conventus Orthopedics, Eric Craycraft, here for the podcast. And we'll learn more about Conventus and the new disruptive technologies that they have out in the marketplace. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome Mr. Eric Craycraft. Great. Thanks, Eric. I appreciate you having me on. How are you? I'm doing wonderful. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks for taking time out of your busy schedule. I know we're obviously, if people listen to this podcast a little bit later in the year, whenever that may be, we are right in the middle of the coronavirus pandemic. So I thought we could talk a little bit about you know different technologies that were out there, especially with Conventus and maybe take people's minds off that at least for a little bit. So I really appreciate you taking time out of your schedule to do that. Yeah, thank you for having me. Like you said, it's it's a definitely a unique time right now in the orthopedic medical device industry, and it's I think it's going to be a little different on the backside. So whatever we can do to make a positive impact from here on out, despite the pandemic, I think it will change for the better. I totally agree. And I think we'll come out of this stronger as we always do as a country and I think as an orthopedic space as well. So, but without further ado, let's talk a little bit about Conventus Orthopedics, I had the opportunity to obviously connect with you and other organization. And then our organization has worked with Conventus as well. And so I'd like if you could just to tell tell the audience a little bit about Conventus, you know, your technology and what you can just to fill people in. Yeah, sure. So Conventus was founded in 2008. It was founded by, believe it or not, some engineers from the, the vascular stent world. So they understood stents. They understood how to place stents. They definitely understood nitinol. And for those of you that don't know nitinol, nitinol was invented in the 1950s. It stands for Nickel Titanium Naval Ordnance Laboratory. And nitinol is, is used all over the world because it's a super elastic material. It's very high strength. And the unique properties of nitinol is it's what we call a shape memory metal. So in other words, we can shape nitinol at Conventus any shape that you could basically think of, from spheres to squares to triangles, et cetera, et cetera. And nitinol, it's a temperature sensitive metal. So as it gets, as you warm up the metal, it changes its properties. So this is most commonly seen in the orthopedic world in staples. So they'll put a staple in as it heats up, it causes compression and get across the osteotomy or fracture site. We also have seen nitinol use in flexible reamer shafts, anchors, and obviously in cages. So at Conventus, we've taken this technology and we've built it into what we call a platform technology to use these cages throughout the body. That's interesting. Thank you, Eric, for that explanation of nitinol. And I know that that's the application of nitinol is in, in several different products. So when you talk about cage, where are some of the indications for Conventus? 
Yeah, so good question. So when the company was first founded in 2008, the first product they worked on was the distal radius cage. There was actually a proximal radius cage and a proximal humerus cage. The first 510K clearance came in 2013 for the distal radius cage. And then two years later, the proximal humerus cage was cleared with a 510K. Interesting. And so as it stands today, where does the majority of, is it 50-50 between the distal radius and proximal humerus? So how does that look for your business? Yeah, for our business in today's world, the majority of the cages that are implanted in the United States are in the proximal humerus. We do have a good handful of surgeons that believe in the distal radius technology and they're loyal guys. They use it regularly and routinely. Is the distal radius cage for every single distal radius fracture in the world that we all know it? Absolutely not. But what I always tell the surgeons and the residents and the fellows is the cage technology in the distal radius is something you definitely want to have in your toolbox as you get into orthopedics or advance into, into their careers. Well, and it's interesting you say that because I've had the opportunity to speak to a surgeon here in Florida who has used the distal radius cage. And he at first was like, "Ah, I'm not really sure. I'm going to try it and see how it goes. And he said, you don't need to talk to me. You need to talk to my PA and the rehab facility. You need to talk to those team members because these patients are coming back and they're having immediate motion and they're not having the pain. And this is a guy who's very a world-renowned guy in the upper extremity. And I was taken back because when he says something like that, you take it to heart. And so that's I know in the distal radius, and I've had firsthand experience that there are obviously, you know, things as far as the rehab time has been significantly reduced. So for that, it's been great for these patients. And in the proximal humerus, do you see the majority of these being four-part fractures or what's been the scope of the cage application? Yeah. So a couple of things on that. So you're absolutely right. So if we can get these patients back to their daily activities of living, if we can increase their range of motion earlier and faster, it all comes back to that AO principle of early active motion. So you're absolutely right. This platform technology, because the fixation it's different. And we'll, we'll, I'll get into that here a little bit later. But yes, the cage technology, this early active motion phenomenon, what we're seeing is there's less chance of cutout, particularly in the proximal humerus arena. And the other thing that we've seen in the data shows is the fixation is superior than what's been on the market. So you, you marry those two up together you improve the fixation, you improve the functional outcomes, and it's a win-win. And when you say improve fixation, do you mean the interface of the cage and screws or the plate? Or can you, can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, sure. So we'll talk about proximal humerus since that's, that's the majority of the cages that tend to go in in the United States. So it's what I call a two-part system. So you have your traditional ORIF procedure with locking plates and screws. You can either use a deltopectoral approach or you can use deltoid split technique. The deltopectoral is a more commonly used. We recommend that technique. So once the fracture is reduced, provisionally fixated with K wires, it's plated with locking with a locking plate. 
And then the additional step is the cage. So the cage actually goes through a spot on the plate. Once it gets into the into the fracture site, or let me back up, before it's introduced, the cavity, what we call the cavity is prepped. So the proximal humerus is prepared with the cavity device. And essentially what it does, it's going to create a cavity. So when the cage goes in and it opens up, it expands like a balloon, it has a home. At that point in time, the surgeon will introduce the traditional locking screws through the locking plate. Not only do the screws lock to the plate, but they also lock inside of the cage. And this nitinol cage, it's actually, it's two layers. So as the screw interdigitates and goes through the cage, it's basically locking into the cage. So not only is it locked to the plate, it's locked to the cage. And that's where we're seeing this increased stability and increased fixation because of that extra cage screw interface. Interesting. So in fact, would you say it's almost the cage acts as another cortice that screw is locking into? Yeah, absolutely. You're exactly right. So as the screw enters into the bone, into what I call the near cage or the near cortex cage, there's two layers of cage that the screw goes through. It continues to go through, and then it will also engage the far cage cortex, if you will, and so it locks into that far cage cortex. The other benefit in the proximal humerus arena, even in the distal radius, is you can err on the shorter side of your locking screws to keep the screws from going into the articular surface, or if you're worried about any, any sort of resorption, you can always err on the shorter side, as we have done historically with locking screws, but now it's even just gives the surgeons a little bit more confidence that they know that these screws are locked not only into the plate, but into the cage. Interesting. Well, and I guess my next question is, it, it sounds like fabulous fixation, and, and I know I've been asked this question over and over and over, and I know that you have a wonderful way to address it. As far as removal of the cage and or, you know, somebody's going to have to go back in and in the proximal humerus itself and possibly down the road after, you know, there's been fracture healing down the road that this patient may need an arthroplasty, shoulder arthroplasty. How do you address that? Yeah. And that's an excellent question. So I like to break this down in, into two parts. I think the first question is if you were to call me and say, Hey, Eric, I've got a patient, they were transferred from another facility. They have a proximal humerus cage in there. We need to take it out. So I call that, or I would ask you, is that going to be, is that an acute removal? How far out is this patient? If it was infected and it was recently put in, those cages can pretty much come in this or come out the same way that they were initially implanted. We just reverse the process. So essentially we'll hook up the extractors, extract the cage back into the delivery tube, take the plate off, take the screws off and go about our own way. Now, on the contrary, if you have a patient that has had ORF with the plate and cage and their next steps in the treatment are to go to reverse, most oftentimes, and I say probably 99% of the time, they're just going to cut the top of the, the humerus off, take the screws out through the plate, and then at that point, you can almost grab the cage and pull it out from the top. Gotcha. And you're making that cut anyway for your shoulder arthroplasty, so seems like it would be a pretty easy next step. Yep. You're absolutely right. And that's typically what we see in continuum of care. That's exactly what they're doing. 
Interesting. Well, it's a very interesting technology, and and I know our surgeons that have done it. What typically, what are surgeons saying after doing it, or what kind of feedback are you receiving specifically in the proximal humerus? So, I think a couple things. I always, I often get asked, you know, what is the learning curve for this? And I think those of us that have been in this business, anytime we come out with a new intramedullary nail or a total hip or a total knee or a minimal invasive plating jig, the learning curve is anywhere from three to five to six cases. And I would have to say that holds true to the proximal humerus conventus cage. It's probably a good three cases. It's definitely, you definitely want to do a sawbones workshop before you do it. And again, like I said, it's, there's nothing new to the procedure other than deploying the cage and preparing the cavity for the cage. It's still standard, standard surgical approach, standard locking plate and screw technology. And then really we're only adding six or seven steps to put in and deploy and lock the cage. Interesting. Gotcha. Well, thank you for explaining because that's, I, I have had surgeons that they will look at it and they'll go, you see that interesting look in their eyes, like, hmm, how am I going to implement this? Because everybody, you know, obviously when a surgeon wise, I mean, I've seen your booth at OTA and different talks that happen, you get fantastic response. So there's obviously a high level of interest there. There is for sure. And I think when Conventus initially came out with this, it took us a while to figure out the surgeon demographics. Initially, there was a lot of focus on the shoulder surgeons, which made a lot of sense. But what we're seeing the last couple of years in particular is more and more the traumatologists are throwing this into into their toolbox, as I alluded to earlier. So I think it's important that not only the shoulder specialists, but the orthopedic traumatologists and the general orthopedic surgeons know about this to put into their toolbox because there is there is a place for this in today's fracture world. Most definitely. And as I see out in the marketplace, you know, there's seems to be, you know, that we could that's a whole other conversation about shoulder arthroplasty and the ebb and flow of whether they're going to go total reverse and why and things of that nature. But I know that several surgeons, when they have a four-part fracture or a three-part fracture that comes in, they would much rather fix it than, you know, have to go to a reverse on a younger patient. Yeah. And so it's interesting. So when I first came to Conventus, my initial mindset was, oh, this is a perfect implant for, you know, a two-part fracture. I think that was the sweet spot. And so doing my due diligence as I traveled the country and was working with residents doing sawbones workshops and faculties and, and getting in the operating room is I was asking all of the, the residents and the fellows and the faculty surgeons, where do you see this being used in your practice? And I was really surprised at how many guys and gals told me the three and the four part fractures is something where they would implement this. Well, it's been something, as you can see by the marketplace, how many different variations and iterations of plates and locking screws and, you know, different things they can do. It's been something that the overall companies have been trying to address. How are we going to fix these fractures? And I think, you know, moving, moving forward, I think obviously Conventus has done a fantastic job of doing that. And as we talked about before, just the rehab piece of it and things of that nature, well, that, we've talked extensively about proximal humerus and obviously about distal radius. 
what's in the future for Conventus and things that you can talk about at this point? Yeah, so that's that's the exciting part. I think that's what we're all so excited where this platform cage technology is going. So there's a couple things. It's definitely going to move into the lower extremity. We've heard that for the past several years. We've got a really good surgeon design team for the lower extremity some surgeons that we all know that have phenomenal experience dealing with lower extremity, long bone fractures, intraarticular, extraarticular, the whole gamut. So I can tell you that it is going to be expanded, no pun intended, to the lower extremity. And we've also got a couple other unique, exciting opportunities in the works. Well, that's really exciting because I can see just the indications and you don't have to go into it in depth, but just for me, you know, whether that be proximal tibia, distal femur, calcaneus, and there's a myriad of different indications that are out there that this would be exciting technology for. Yep. You're absolutely right. And I think what we have figured out from 2008 until today is we've simplified the technique. We've improved the instrumentation. There's been several iterations of the cage itself. It continues to morph and improve. And you're going to see the best of all these worlds in the lower extremity platform coming soon. That's great to hear. Well, it's very, very exciting times. And we'll be anticipating the release of these new lower extremity products. At this point in time, as a for your product, for Conventus products, do you work through a distributor network? Yep. So right now we work with distributors throughout the United States. We've got some great distributor partners that not only represent Conventus, but also other product lines. But as you know, in this business, the word travels quick when a unique product comes to market. I think what the distributors like about the cage technology is nobody else has anything like this at all. So it's a differentiating product for them to get in the operating room. I think it's a win for the for the patients, obviously, because they're getting an implant from Conventus that nobody else has to offer versus a shoulder arthroplasty, especially if they're a young patient, as you alluded to earlier. And I think it's a win for the hospitals because you're not having to use uh, as many biomaterials. You're not having to use surclosh cable, wires, all these other modalities that increase the cost of the case. Well, you're right. And especially just just from my perspective, when you have different options to treat a, let's just say the proximal humerus at this point in time, and you're a distributor who has all the different options. I mean, you can be the solution for any proximal humerus fracture that a surgeon wants to, wants to fix. And so that's, it's very important, I believe, for the surgeon to know that one phone call and it's not multiple companies coming into the room, which is, or I'm sorry, multiple distributors and or sales representatives. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Well, Eric, thank you very much. I really appreciate you taking time out of your schedule in order to talk more about Conventus Orthopedics. And of course, I always ask everybody on my Each Ortho Idea podcast, if you weren't the senior director of sales and marketing at Conventus Orthopedics and you could be anything you wanted to be when you grow up, what would you be? Yeah, that's a great question. <laughs> and I, I never prompt anybody with that question. They don't yeah. know it's coming. They don't know it's coming. Yeah, I think I would be a professional ski patroller. I'd be skiing every day, rescuing patients on the mountains. 
and doing search and rescue full time. That would be my my ideal job. Doesn't pay a lot, but that's what I would do. <laughs> exactly. Hey, I love it. That's great. You know, I get so many different answers to that question. You're the first ski patrol guy, you, and so that's good. It's good. You get to, you go down in infamy. With the first <laughs> control guy. Um, right. Yeah, exactly. But well, hey, thank you very much. I appreciate your time coming on the Ortho Idea podcast and talking more about Conventus Orthopedics. If someone wants to learn more about Conventus, where can they go? Yep. So you can find us online, conventusortho.com. We're also on LinkedIn. We've got YouTube or videos on YouTube and ViewMedi. So we're on pretty much all the social platforms. So thanks again for having me and keep doing what you're doing. Well, I will. Thank you, Eric. And again, thank you for you know taking time to do this and look forward to talking to you soon. Yeah, you too. Take care. Take care. Thank you for tuning in to the Ortho Idea Podcast. If you would like to learn more about the technologies discussed, please visit www.orthoidea.com.